The podcast of this local government meeting is brought to you by Michigan Radio. For more coverage of local government meetings and to find out how you can support this service, go to michiganradio.org. Please call the roll. Good afternoon, Madam Clerk. My apologies. I believe she needed to be uh, promoted, which I just did. All right. And they can join us at the table. Yep. I'm here now, Madam President. All right. You ready? Yes, ma'am. Okay. Council Member Scott Benson. Scott Benson, aye. Council Member Fred Durhall III. Present. Council Member Letitia Johnson. Present. Council Member Gabriela Santiago Romero. Councilmember Mary Waters. Councilmember Angela Whitfield Callaway. Councilmember Coleman Young II. Here. Council President Pro Tem James Tate. Here. Council President Mary Sheffield. Present. Madam President, you have a quorum present. All right, there being a quorum present, we are in session and we will start with the Detroit Historical Society. Good afternoon. Thank you so much for joining us. Just make sure your microphones are turned by just pressing the bottom. Yep. Oh, there we go. All right. And um, if the clerk would note, Member Waters has joined us. Clerk will so know, Madam President. And the floor is yours. Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, great to see everybody. Um, and thanks to, I think most of you made it to the museum since we saw you last year. So um, that's always fun. And um, we appreciate the opportunity. Um, also want to particularly thank Councilmember Waters, who is our trustee now and is doing a great job in participating and supporting us. So thank you for that. Um, so at the Detroit Historical Society, we're privileged to be the keeper of our city's stories and heritage. Um, as you know, we recently marked 100 years of, uh, of being in existence since our founding, and we're continuing celebrating that with the community until the end of this year. As the stewards of Detroit's history, our work to share the city's past, present, and future, we feel has never been more important than it is today, and we're really striving to envision a new Detroit Historical Society for the next 100 years. We serve as Detroit storytellers by welcoming visitors, both local and from around the world, to our two amazing museums. Um, as you know, the Detroit Historical Museum in Midtown and the Dawson Great Lakes Museum on Belle Isle. Um, on top of that, we're also responsible for the conservation and preservation of nearly 300,000 artifacts um, of the city of Detroit that um, we store at a warehouse at Historic Fort Wayne. And again, I extend the invitation um, for you to um, individually with your staffs or collectively to have a meeting at the Collections Resource Center so that you can experience and really understand the magnitude of the the number um, and the importance um, of the uh, the artifacts that we care for there. Um, through our museum exhibits, our school tours, community-based programs, and other outreach efforts, we serve more than 150,000 people every year. And we believe that every pilgrimage to the city of Detroit, whether you're a lifelong Detroiter or you're visiting from out of town, should begin with a visit to the Detroit Historical Museum so that you have context for everything else that you'll experience um, during your time here. So our job as historians is to continuously integrate new facts um, and interpretations of events into the historical record. And um, what you might not know is we are continuously collecting artifacts about what's happening today. We call it contemporary collecting, but all of our staff are doing that regularly um, so that future generations can understand what we've been going through during this time. 
So we're committed as we look forward to the next 100 years to um, ensure that we are evolving and editing all of our exhibitions so that they're truly reflective of Detroit as it is today um, and engaging our community at every step. Um, I'm happy to report and we're relieved to tell you that um, in the last 12 months, our visitorship has finally returned to pre-COVID numbers. Um, we're successfully hosting in-person events and programs, our really popular behind-the-scenes tours, um, and it's really wonderful to have kids back in the museum. We had seven schools today um, through the DPSCD passport program. Um, so as those of you who have been around a while know, um, my initial plan to achieve the long-term financial sustainability for the organization included a focus on shoring up and enhancing all of our earned revenue streams while also working to develop a, a more robust philanthropy program. And both of these strategies, of course, suffered in the wake of COVID, but we are starting to bounce back. Um, one thing that's become really crystal clear in the wake of the pandemic is that the Detroit Historical Society is at risk without a significant financial game changer. We simply won't be able to fundraise our way out of this. Um, so, um, as you know, we're planning to turn to the residents of our area to um, help with a millage to protect our collective culture. We're doing that in partnership with our great friends at the Charles H. Wright Museum of African American History. And we're really hopeful that this will come to fruition. Um, but in the meantime, it's important for you as our city's leaders to know that without significant additional support like that of a millage, our museums could actually close. We've been underfunded for 20 years and we're running out of reserves. Um, you also know we don't have a sizable endowment. And in 2018, um, the Historical Society had an appropriate level of about $5 million in reserves. And right now, today, we checked this morning, we're just over a million dollars. Um, so we have run through that um, very, very quickly. Um, and although we weren't able to be on the ballot for our millage run last year, as we had hoped, um, local legislators, including Marshall Bullock and Joe Tate, have been great friends of ours, and they recognize the urgency of our situation, and they stepped up to assist us in securing some transitional funding for the state for this fiscal year. So the ask was done in partnership with the right. Um, we did receive approval for half of the amount that we asked for. Um, we haven't received it yet, actually, um, and we're, as we're nearing the end of the, this fiscal year. Um, but the $4 million that was allocated um, from that fund to the Detroit Historical Society will allow us to begin to right-size our staff and undergo a critical compensation study. I mean, like many other nonprofits, we lost staff because we couldn't pay them enough um, you know, to the for-profit world. Um, so we want to ensure that the bright professionals that we have on staff now stay with us um, and that they're fairly paid. And uh, the state funding also is going to allow us to begin a concerted effort to return the society's reserve fund to an appropriate level of four to five million dollars um, within the next few years. So all of that said, um, we've had a lot of bright spots and there are a couple of things that I wanted to share in particular with you today. And I know we gave you a lot of stuff. I hope you'll wear your pins proudly. <laughs> um, and it's, um, but um, the first thing I'm proud to share, um, and this, this isn't public knowledge until today, is that our entire staff has embarked recently on a mission to become the first certified autism center in Michigan. Um, so we're working with an organization called IBCCES. It's an international credentialing organization. Um, and we're really excited about this opportunity to elevate our level of accessibility to the neurodiverse community and be a leader in this important arena for our state. So the training includes, you know, our staff um, taking hours of, of uh, 
CEUs um, that teach them about you know how to approach visitors who um, have neurodiverse issues, um, this, how we manage our spaces more effectively, and really make this um, a destination for families who are dealing with autism and, and other um, neurodiverse um, issues. So we're proud to be the first in Detroit. Um, I have shared and begun to share this with our sister institutions, the other museums in the district, and I'm hoping they will get on board because if enough of them get on board, then we would become an officially certified cultural district. And then um, I have to say, if enough other businesses in Detroit become certified, we Detroit could become only the second certified autism city in the country. So that's sort of exciting, um, and I was, I was excited to share that with you. So if you want to hear more about it, um, you know, please just pop me an email, and I'll, I'm happy to share. Um, we actually had site visits today um, from an auditor from this organization um, who's checking out our spaces, and they'll make recommendations for us of how to make it more um, accommodating for people with those issues. Um, on our exhibitions time, we really haven't missed a beat. Um, this year's um, probably most significant project was a refresh of our Frontiers to Factories exhibits, which, you know, as you might know, tells the story of the beginning of Detroit. That's where all of the third and fourth graders of DPSCD go in to learn about Detroit. Um, the permanent exhibition was renamed. It's now called Origins, Life Where the River Bends. And we worked in close partnership with the tribes in our area to ensure that we are appropriately telling a correct and inclusive story of the region's past, which began way before Cadillac ever got here. Um, so we're, we're very proud of that. Um, we continue to prioritize the telling of all of Detroit stories in our museums and making the work more accessible. Um, a great example um, of this is uh, we had a partnership this year with local historian Rodney Deal. Um, he staged an independent exhibit called Freedom Confirmed in District 4 this year, which was fabulous. Um, we love working with him. I actually were hoping to get him to come join our team. Um, he's so great. But that explored um, personal history linked to Abraham Lincoln. So we supported his effort as a fiscal agent and um, promoted it through our network. Um, we also lift local stories up um, inside the museums, of course. Um, another moving example is being installed in our community gallery as we speak. Opening this weekend is a new exhibit. I invite you to come see. It's called Humanize the Numbers. Um, it's a collaborative photography project that brings together men who are incarcerated within the Michigan Department of Corrections facilities and students from University of Michigan um, to create images of those directly impacted by mass incarceration. Um, inside a system where people are tightly regulated and identities are reduced to numbers, the project really reveals the faces and stories of those people, and it's going to be really very compelling. Um, our, that, so this is part of our community gallery, which is a long-running exhibition-based community outreach initiative. Um, we established it in 2007, and it's a specific space that's dedicated to telling diverse, inspiring, and little-known stories. Um, so we select groups for their contributions to the community and efforts that have shaped the region's history. It's completely free to them and um, gives them the opportunity. We do this quarterly um, and gives them the opportunity to tell and us a opportunity to tell a huge range of Detroit's diverse stories. Um, in 2022, uh, we featured a wonderful exhibit by Detroit's Gaelic League, um, and the Irish ambassador and the mayor of County Cork came in for that, which was really cool. Um, next, we hosted a marvelous exhibit by the Albert Kahn Legacy Foundation, which actually won a state history award, um, highlighting the contributions of Albert Kahn and his family. That was followed by a stunning arts exhibit curated by the Detroit Fine Art Breakfast Club, which I know we all love. And then uh, we wrapped that up with uh, the 25th anniversary celebration of the Wings winning the 
Stanley Cup um, in 97. So um, then coming up this summer, we're going to be partnering with the Soul of Philanthropy Michigan um, to bring the country's most celebrated exploration of black philanthropy um, to the community gallery. That's called Giving Back, um, the Soul of Philanthropy Reframed. And it's going to feature highly engaging and authentic stories from the black experience, as well as a portrait gallery of more than 80 black philanthropists, um, both locally and um, from around the country. And then um, finally, later this year, we're going to host another important exhibition in the community gallery featuring installations which will include art, history, and culture from all 13 Asian American communities in Detroit. So really trying to make sure that we are covering um, you know, diversity in all of its aspects um, in our rich city. Um, and then finally, I wanted to share with you the success we're experiencing with The Hustle. We first told you about that last year, and we were just kind of starting to get going there. Um, this was another effort we had to reach deep into Detroit's neighborhood to tell the inspiring stories of real Detroiters. Um, we have others in your packets. There's a specific one-pager about that. Um, but we're right in the middle of this two-year-long effort that celebrates Detroit's black entrepreneurs with a series of exhibits and public programs and educational offerings. And the response has really been overwhelming. Um, we started with a crowdsourced nominations process, and I know that some of you nominated people from your district, so thank you for doing that. Um, we had hoped to get a couple hundred nominations. We got almost 800, and um, we, um, we had a committee um, of community members that selected 36 black Detroit-based uh, entrepreneurs, and they are currently being featured in a series of four exhibitions in the center of our gallery of culture. Um, so we're also supporting these nominees in a variety of ways. They've become our vendors. Um, we're promoting their businesses through press opportunities and vendor fairs. Um, we're having public educational programming and a resource summit in 2023 that's going to give current and aspiring entrepreneurs um, resources and inspiration. Um, and then finally, we're going to celebrate the nominees and winners of these quarterly open houses at a Black Tie Grand Finale in February of 2024. So this has turned out to be um, such a remarkable opportunity, and at each opening we've heard from some of the people whose stories now will be part of the Detroit Historical Society archives in perpetuity, saying I never thought I would see myself in a museum. And to see their parents all excited for them and all, it's really been remarkable. And there, so many of these people had never stepped foot in our museum. So that's the best part to us, is that they now feel like it's their museum. Um, so I think, you know, I think we're making some progress there. Um, and I, again, I thank those of you who helped identify nominees from your districts. Um, so now I'm going to hand it over to Matt, who's going to just walk through the financial slides with you, which you have in your packets. Well, good afternoon. My name is Matt Greeno, and I'm the Chief Financial Officer for the Detroit Historical Society. As Alana said, I provided you with some materials today, including a budget that shows uh, the past fiscal year, where we think we're going to land this year, and what we're projecting for next year. The first group of income that we look at is contributed revenue, and in 2022, we had a pretty good year. We had a new vice president of philanthropy that joined our team, and we really made some inroads, especially as it uh, pertained to individual giving and corporate giving. The big impetus there was the hustle program that Alana just shared with you. In 2023, our initial budget that was drafted last spring uh, has changed somewhat, and as you can see here, our projected revenue will be about $4.8 million. That's really with the $1 million that we receive from the city for operating support, and we're anticipating receiving at least $2 million of the $4 million from the state of Michigan in transitional funding. And then we look at contributed revenue for next year. 
We've reduced our operations support from the city to a half a million dollars, but we're still expecting that second tranche of two million from the state of Michigan. And so that's how we arrive at those numbers there. In looking at the individual categories, grants from foundations and government grantors such as IMLS or the National Endowment for Humanity or the State of Michigan funds, the Michigan Art and Culture Council or the Michigan Humanities Council, those are definitely trending up. We've been able to get some excellent support from entities such as those. But we've had softer donations this year in corporate giving and individual giving. And looking in hindsight, the corporate giving was really a factor of we got a lot from the corporate community last year, and it was unrealistic to think that we were going to get as much this year. Individual giving, we had a program last year called the Century Club, and again, we, in hindsight, were unrealistic in expecting our um, individual givers to match the level that we did in fiscal 22. And then finally, fundraising, I just want to pause for a minute. We, like many nonprofits, are really starting to reevaluate fundraising um, we are, don't think are ever going to return to pre-pandemic levels. And we're definitely seeing a change in focus. So for instance, corporate sponsorships of fundraising events are now turning to, they want to sponsor exhibits or programs. And so those are some of the factors that are uh, impacting our contributed revenue in terms of what we're projecting for this year and what we think is going to happen next year. I want to turn the discussion to earned revenue this has been a bright spot for us in the context of COVID. I'm happy to say that we definitely are trending upward. Uh, we've had really some good successes in admissions in particular, even with a robust schedule of free days where we're really trying a cadence of at least one free day a month. That makes our museums more accessible, and especially in this inflation-conscious era that we're in. Uh, it's really great. For instance, on uh, Martin Luther King Day, we had over a 1,000 guests in our museum at the Detroit Historical Museum, and it's just really wonderful. A lot of families. Public programs, though, trending upwards over the last two years, but still below pre-pandemic levels in fiscal 19 to the tune of about 30,000. And our school group and tour group revenue is down significantly when compared to fiscal 19. Now, that being said, it's great to see today, for instance, seven tours scheduled for today. We have uh, a number of them scheduled for tomorrow. We're trending in the right direction, but we're still not quite there in terms of overall resilience as compared to the numbers that we are experiencing in fiscal 19. On the expense side, we really have three areas of focus in 2024. You know, in 2022, we lost over 20 key staff people. We were losing them mostly to higher paying jobs and especially jobs in the for-profit sector. And so one of the first things that we did was evaluate our hourly pay structure, our frontline structure. And I'm happy to say we've really stabilized that. We have a good cohort of part-time workers, students, residents of the city of Detroit. We have seven residents of the city of Detroit on staff. Um, and that really has stabilized quite a bit. And that's an important segment of our employee base because those are the day-to-day -day folks that help run our museum and uh, help the guests have a good experience. We've really turned our focus, especially on the curatorial collection and program areas, to make sure that we are restaffing those areas and filling positions that we didn't uh, fill going back to uh, fiscal 20. And those efforts are going to continue in fiscal 24 as we restore positions that were vacant, the positions like a maritime curator or an outreach manager. 
And the other focus, as Alana mentioned, was to really take a look at our compensation project and really look at our structure and look at ways that we can attract and retain the best candidates for our museum. On the building operations side, you might notice that our spend is projected quite a bit up from our original budget. With the anticipated transitional funding, we thought one of the first places to use these resources was to take care of some long deferred projects and maintenance on areas of the building that just had been deferred for several years. These are the city's assets. These buildings belong to the city and they need to be cared for. You know, the Detroit Historical Museum is 70 plus years old and I don't know if any of you own an older home, but there are some quirks when you have a 70 year old house and we certainly do as well. But we're gonna continue to look at ways to have the best building, the best experience, really see us through into the next several decades. And in fiscal 24, I think that spend will curtail somewhat because a lot of these things were one-off repairs or fixes that we've now taken care of. The third element of focus is our exhibits. We have a tremendous exhibition team. They're doing 10 to 12 new exhibits a year, but there's always been an issue of capacity over the last several years. We simply didn't have enough staff. And so now with expanding that staff, we can expand our offerings. We can add more traveling exhibits. We already have a number, but we're looking at adding a few more and really a focus on continuing the diversity of programming that Alana mentioned in the community gallery. That is a, a great uh, source of um, just keeping our museum fresh and so that our visitors can't just say, oh, well, I, I was already there, I was already there. No, we've got something new going on at all times. And finally, we've learned that pop-up exhibits, neighborhood exhibits throughout the city are really a smart play. Again, part of an overall commitment to um, making things accessible. Not everybody can get down to a museum, but if there's something in the neighborhood, and it's an inexpensive way compared to a full-blown exhibit in, in the main museum, as an example. So these are some areas of focus on our operating expense. Overall, we've got a, a plan for uh, the fiscal uh, 24 uh, that really is key to, um, the transitional funding is key to making that plan work for us. I wanna finally spend a little bit of time talking about capital expenditures. We have been very fortunate to receive significant support from the city on CapEx projects over the last couple of cycles. To date, we've finished over 25 projects. Um, I provided a list for you on the last page of the deck, and we just, we've still got work to do though. And we really are asking the city today for a million dollar support in capital uh, expenditures for fiscal 24. In particular, at the Detroit Historical Museum, We've got some exterior repairs. <clears throat> We've got a massive plumbing project, paint and carpet. And a key thing, especially in light of some recent events, is to get a new door package in at our main Kirby entrance that has some additional security features. We also wanna make sure that our permanent exhibits are maintained to the best level possible. The Dawson Great Lake Museum for, for fiscal 24, we're really looking at getting an LED lighting plan in place. We've been on a commitment to implement recycling. We've got EV stations now at the main. We are looking at reducing our, our carbon footprint through better efficient utilities. And lighting is a big part of our exhibition spaces. And certainly that's true at the Dawson. We also wanna upgrade the Marks Theater and do some additional electrical and paint work. And then finally, the Collection Resource Center. The Collection Resource Center is really the holder of the city's historical patrimony with hundreds of thousands of artifacts. 
one of the key things that we have to get done in this next fiscal year is to stabilize the electrical service. In fact, right now, even as I speak, the CRC has been without power since the weekend. Now, that's a significant problem for anybody, but it's really a problem in an environment where you want ambient temperature, you want good environment. We have 80 plus cars that are in the city's collection, the bubble cars as we call them because they're wrapped up in bubbles. Those bubbles are inflated by electric motors. And so not having power for five days is, is just not something that, that we accept. And of course, beyond the stabilizing of the electrical service in two buildings, 2B and 2C, we have a 1970s boiler that is an inappropriate sized boiler. Um, it, um, it needs to be replaced. It's reached its end of its useful life. And again, I just want to touch on what we were able to accomplish over the last two years, even up to date. Thanks to the support we received from the city, we've been able to get a new security system in all three buildings so that the exhibits and the artifacts are secure. We've got new roof, new paint, new dehumidification, uh, EV station, as I mentioned. And we have probably the coolest thing. When I came to work for the museum in 2019, I had no idea of some of the things I would get to learn about. This particular camera, it's called the Arc-Eye, and it gives uh, digital uh, images, 360 degree digital images. It's ideally suited for our priceless car collection, but not only that, for Detroit made furniture, for large artifacts, we've got boats, we've got architectural pieces, and this Arc-Eye, um, thanks to the capital support that we got, is in service and is in use now. So. Um, I thank you all for that support that we've gotten so far, and I ask that you continue that support in fiscal 24. With that, I'm going to turn it back to Alana. Thanks, Matt. Um, so thanks so much, Matt. I know you know we're doing everything we can to right the ship, despite what happened um, during the pandemic. Um, we do have less than a year of reserves, and we're still probably two years out. Even if we're able to achieve the millage in August of 24, we're still two full years away from um, having you know, that in order to support us. Um, so we, we ask for your consideration. Um, we understand that the mayor allocated $500,000 to um, assist in our operations, and we um, are appreciative of that. Um, we do hope that you will um, continue to discuss and consider, um, uh, you know, con continuing our, um, the support of our capital projects um, because there's still so much to do there. Um, and finally, I just appreciate um, each of you individually for um, helping to support our millage efforts. Um, I've heard from so many of you that um, you, know, you know how important this is to us. Um, actually, the bills were introduced, if you hadn't heard, last week um, by um, Senator Sylvia Santana and Represent Representative Tyrone Carter, um, other good friends of ours. Um, thank you to Councilmember Benson for you know, carrying the torch for us and all that. You're the reason that we're in partnership with the right. And... Um, it, it makes a lot of sense. So, you know, we do help to help the hope to have this enabling legislation um, within the next few weeks, hopefully, so that we can be on the ballot in 24. Um, but it's uh, it's still an existential time for us. But we remain really proud to be the stewards of your museums and um, really appreciate your partnership. All right. Thank you. Great presentation. Thank you so much. We will turn it over to questions, two questions per council member. And we'll start with Member Calloway. Thank you, Madam Chair. And good afternoon, Madam Chair. Um, and thank you. Um, I have some questions that I know I'm going to submit um, later on, but sure. why the decrease in the facility rental? I'm, I'm, I'm looking at uh, 142 in fiscal year 2022, mm -hmm. and then it goes down to um, 40, by $42,000, and then it goes up $20,000 for 
and it kind of stabilizes all the way through fiscal year 2024. What is that up and I down? can answer that question. So fiscal 22, we were clearing out a significant backlog of rentals that had been canceled and rescheduled from March 13th of 2020 forward until we were able to finally get those those rentals through. So in the world of accrual accounting, we don't get to recognize that income until we do mm -hmm. the event. And so last in that fiscal year, we really packed a lot into that. The other thing I will say, though, is from a strategic standpoint, we're focusing less on social rentals, such as a wedding reception, and more on corporate rentals and strategic partnerships with organizations. And so we, we expect a very stable um, uh, revenue stream there. My colleague, Rebecca Solomon Witt, manages that. And uh, we've really, the, it, was, it was a very challenging time trying to fit a lot of brides in that had waited and waited and waited on their weddings for you know quite a bit of time. But we managed to get through the backlog through June of last year, and now it's um, it's a normal cadence now. So uh, it's interesting. The month of February, which is typically a sleepy month for us, we did uh, about ten thousand dollars in rental income, and it was all corporate and uh, partnerships and associations. Thank you for the question. Yeah, absolutely. And this is not a question, but I'm looking forward to talking to you further about your engagement or your outreach to corporations to get them to use the facility because it's so beautiful. But my second question is: I know that you have is it at Somerset? Mm -hmm. Location. Yep, I'd like to shop. see something in my district, especially on the Avenue of Fashion. We have quite a huge um, uh, uh, participation. Sure. They support those businesses over there. So I'd like to see the museum. Um, I don't care if it's temporary. I don't care if it's pop up. But we have some business, some um, um, buildings over there that I'd like to personally show you and maybe do give you a walkthrough that I think would be perfect for a museum on the avenue. That is very um, exciting. Yeah, and um, so I'd like for us to look at that. We're in Somerset. Let's bring it to our neighborhoods here in Detroit. Um, thank you, Madam Chair. So I'd like to talk to you about that further. Look forward to it. Thank Absolutely. you. Absolutely. Thank you, Madam Chair. All right. Thank you, Member Calloway. Member Benson. All right. Thank you. Uh, thank you all for being here. <clears throat> also, <clears throat> My office just really wants to thank you again because you all have hosted our Welsh Generation Task Force for the past year. Happy to do and it. And we were able to uh, come up with the uh, idea regarding the efficient transfer of wealth, and that's also through your support. So thank you, and it's just great to know that we're supported by these city-owned assets and these organizations that help do such great things within the city of Detroit. You talked about the endowment. Mm -hmm. and I didn't see that within the documentation here. What is the current endowment? So we... I'm sorry. We, we, we have an endowment that's um, held by the Community Foundation of Southeast Michigan. So it's not on our balance sheet. Um, it's about $2 million. And we receive approximately 120000 a year from that. And that's recorded on our income statement under the category foundations. I will say, Council Member Benson, that we had some good news in December of this last year. Um, Terrence Adderley had left a bequest to the Historical Society and the museum, and that has been added to the uh, endowment held by the Community Foundation of Southeast Michigan. So I expect the revenue stream in future years is going to increase. The amount of money he left in the bequest was over $600,000, so it was substantial. Okay, thank you. And then just moving forward, what are the plans for the capital expenditures? And so I see in the report here for fiscal year 24, you're looking for about a million dollars in capital expenditures, what does your current total budget account a call call for when it comes to capex expenditures on the museum? 
not just not just for one fiscal year, but the total need. Right. So we, um, you know, working in conjunction with the budget office last fall, we updated our five-year plan, and that's about five million dollars, taking us out um, five years from this year forward. Okay. And right now, the ask this year would be for a million dollars in capital support. Correct. Uh, Madam President, motion to place the Detroit Historical Society into executive session. Right. Uh, motion has been made. Any objections? Hearing none, that motion is approved. And, and I just have to say, just as with the Charles H. Wright, I'm a strong supporter of our city-owned assets, and you all are telling the story, and our story as Detroiters deserves to be told as well. And you all have been very efficient when it comes to leveraging the stories of local Detroiters, and especially local black Detroiters. So it makes it a very welcoming environment when we're able to take our families and our children there to let them see our story as well on the local level, not just the national level, which is fantastic for Charles H. Wright, but it's also critical that we have that local story and our history being told right here as Detroiters and the great accomplishments and and the work that we have done as black Detroiters to help propel this city forward and what we're doing right now. And so just one last item, what are you all looking to do with the endowment, excuse me, not with the endowment, but with the millage? Once that passes, and it will pass, what are you looking to do with that? And what are you all looking for annually as a uh, revenue um, from the millage? Once sure. it well, as you know, the millage, um, that we need to ne negotiate that with the counties um, once we pass. But the legislation would allow us, you know, uh, up to 0.4 mills to be levied. For us, that would be somewhere between 17 and $18 million a year. Significant portion of that would be to build our endowment so that we would be self-sustaining. Um, you know, as a 100-year-old institution, it's important that we're here 100 years from now, and that will ensure that we'll be able to cover all of the operating expenses for that time. Um, but, um, you know, we have been, for, for 20 years, the Historical Society has not been able to do everything it could do to be a world-class museum. We've done amazing things. Um, but to have um, a staff the right size to be able to um, you know, support the community needs to be able to, um, you know, similar to the DIA, the part of the value proposition is would be free admission to mm -hmm. Oakland and Wayne County residents, um, free busing. Um, we're also um, ideating around what we can offer to the other historical associations and organizations in um, Wayne and Oakland County. Um, in order to support their efforts. You know, some of these smaller museums in um, local communities that um, are really, um, you know, uh, struggle to, to raise funds and how we can partner with them in order to support them better. Um, so, I mean, it's, um, it's, we're doing that hard work right now, um, but really the sustainability for the organization is the number one thing. We don't want to have to come back. We want to be able to stand on our own, but like I said, we can't, Fundraising is just not going to get us there. We can't keep fundraising five, six million dollars a year every year. And so thank you. I, I just want to lift up the need for that millage and the fact that this is another city-owned asset. Mm -hmm. While others may think that it's okay being hand-to-mouth, it's not. The city of Detroit needs to have these institutions and they need to be supported. And just like the DIA, the Detroit Historical Society, as well as the Charles H. Wright, we deserve to have endowments that will help support these and ensure that these opportunities and assets are here in perpetuity, which is why it's critical that we have both these institutions, both city-owned museums, 
on the millage and supported by the entire region because you support so many outside the city of Detroit. I was really surprised to see the numbers of visitors that support both the right as well as the historical society who come down from Oakland, Washtenaw, mm -hmm. Macomb County to see this history because so many of our families, the diaspora of Detroit is so vast now, they really come to see that history and it's really rooting and we're going to work hard to make sure that it happens. Thank you. Thank Appreciate you. that. Thank you, Member Benson. Member Waters. Thank you, uh, Madam President, and thank you, Member Benson. <laughs> I love his passion um, for, the, for the culture, protect the culture. That's right. All right, so, um, gosh, you guys have covered so much already, but I just want to talk um, briefly about the, um, I see that your, your tours are down, um, your, your membership it's also down, but I see a, a slow increase that you're projecting for fiscal year, um, well, a little bit this year and, and for next year. So um, you want to tell us a little bit about what some of your plans are to increase it a little bit more? I, I, uh, council Member Waters, I want to remind you and everyone on the council, too, that one uh, important aspect of membership is as a resident of the city of Detroit, you all have free membership at our museums. And that represents over 3,000 members right now. Um, free membership, of course, is great um, for the membership and for the engagement. But as the finance guy, it's not so great because it's free. So um, one thing I will say, though, is that our membership manager was brought on board four years ago, and she's been a um, uh, one-man band and one of the things that we recognize in our staffing plan for fiscal 24 is that we need uh, we need to staff that up and so we're going to add two membership services coordinators in part to service our 3,000 plus members that are uh, residents of the city of Detroit but also to give us more opportunities to expand our membership um, and find different inroads and different touch points the way that we used to get members is they would come to the museum and then um, they would uh, say, well, yeah, maybe I'll become a member. And it was sort of organic and a lot of um, mail, U.S. mail. And now, you know, there's an expectation that's different. There's more uh, everything from digital membership cards to um, electronic contact. And so our plan is to really embrace staffing up that area in fiscal 24 with the hope of building on that base both with our Detroiter memberships and with the uh, the paid memberships that are from all over. And and, and to that end, I, I'd kind of like to see you guys maybe develop a closer um, relationship with the school system and so that we can encourage all of our young people to become members um, <coughs> of, the, uh, of the museum. I think that would be very helpful, and I think that would be not only good for them, for, the museum, but also for the uh, the young folks as well. Sure. Thank you. Um, so does that mean you're going to work a little bit more with the schools? Or? Well, so, I mean, we are a partner with DPSCD, um, okay. and um, we're part of the Passport Program. So we have, you know, over, I don't know, 3,000 DPSCD students that come through What's the student each year. membership? Um, it's, it's minimal. It's less than 50. Right. Less than 50. Yeah. Okay. No, but we, I mean, we could do something for younger kids. We did have a History Heroes program that we meant to launch before COVID, and then that 
that died that would, you know, come with a little backpack, if you remember, and, you mm-hmm. know, you'd get some, like, a historic book. And um, so, I mean, I think as we staff up, you know, Matt made a good point. We've we've had just one person trying to manage all of this for us. So um, I think that makes a lot of sense going forward to really, um, you know, re-engage those plans. Oh, yeah, and, and the coordinators that you're going to be hiring, mm-hmm. too, I like that as, as well. So can you share with the public, just give them just so that they can – vividly see some of the programs that, you know, that currently exist? Sure. Well, people know us really well for our behind-the-scenes tours. So, um, you know, we, and we also have our historic houses of worship tours. So a lot of people come to us through those. They really want to see, you know, the backstory of some of these great um, architectural gems in Detroit, and um, then they become members that way. Um, You know, we have, we have programs throughout the year. We did something wonderful, as Matt talked about on MLK Day. Um, We had a lot of different programs for families, um, you know, at the holiday times. Um, In order to engage kids, we do treatment in the streets um, and um, provide a lot of opportunities to, um, we had on the shoulders of giants um, during Black History Month. So I mean, really every month we have something going on. We encourage people to um, sign up for our weekly newsletters, become membership, take advantage of your um, your free membership if you're a resident of Detroit, and, um, and then visit our website, um, which is constantly updated. There's so many. I mean, every month we have multiple different opportunities for the community to engage. And if you came to the museum 12 times a year, you would see something new every time you came. <laughs> okay. All right. Then I guess I'll stop. Thank you, Madam President. <laughs> all right. Thank you, Member Waters. Pro Tim Tate. Thank you, Madam President, and thank you all for being here. Um, really excited about the, the programming that I heard, you know, the programming surrounding uh, those with autism mm-hmm. and the community. Too. Yes. The community gallery, uh, you know, when the, the great Bob Burry, you know, he was there for 16 years when uh, built a relationship with him and saw the work that he did to help, you know, keep the uh, museum going for a number of years. And uh, when he resigned, I was like, oh, you know, we may be losing a step, but it looks like you guys have continued uh, to move and progress even beyond where uh, we were in the past. So I just want to commend you on that. Um, it's a lot of great programming that I'm hearing here. Um, I heard you mention about stabilizing the electrical system, and maybe I missed what uh, is potentially needed to assist with that. So at the Collection Resource Center, there's a series of three buildings. <clears throat> They're World War II era buildings. They're referred to as 2A, 2B, and 2C. The electrical connection for all three buildings comes in through building 2A. That is um, uh, an electrical service area that's exposed to the elements. The building is not salvageable in terms of re-roofing or or whatever, we need to figure out um, a better way of providing electricity so that it's not so at risk because of the elements. Uh, in addition, we had um, copper thieves that, that ransacked that connection area back in July of 2021, so we need a secure area as well. So, Council Member Tate, we've done, we've got a three-legged stool there. We have secured the interior environment through the capital funding from the city in terms of HVAC and dehumidification. We're in the process of finishing up a half a million dollar project to re-roof building 2B and 2C. The last piece of the puzzle is to get a better electrical service than is there right now so that we don't have these, unfortunately, all too frequent electric outages. This one is lasting a little longer than usual, but the campus at Historic Fort Wayne is just an unusual campus. And so we need to really partner and work closely with 
um, the, uh, the the team that's on the city team that's on staff there at Fort Wayne and see what's possible. Work with our our vendor partners and see if we can come up with with a solution this next year. That's really a the key piece of the puzzle in terms of securing these hundreds of thousands of artifacts that belong to the city. So does that sound? Am I hearing that there's a budget potential budget implication here that that could assist with that, or is it already it's, being worked on? No, it's definitely. I mean, if, uh, receiving a capital expo, uh, expenditure support. Um, like we did this year, will definitely help us accomplish that um, and get that you know get that project completed. So, has there been a total cost of what that looks like? Well, the initial preliminary cost of assessing the situation is in the tens of thousands of dollars. The total cost hasn't been assessed. I do know that we looked at a generator option, and to provide generator service for buildings two B and two C was approximately eight hundred and ten thousand dollars. So significant outlay. We really want to look at stabilizing the environment and the connectivity and then maybe just having a backup generator for a portion of um, the building where our you know most at-risk artifacts are instead of trying it's the, it's a big building got it and I don't want to necessarily put I don't, I don't think anyone's put the yes, it's, good. it's already in there okay cool so we'll talk about that as we get into executive session then because I was going to just capture that area and then finally to my question I ask every year I know. So yes. no one knows where it is. <laughs> we love the chairs. We can't find chairs, the chairs. The so our collections oh, team. Be, be, before you go, Sorry. there's some folks who may not know what I'm talking okay. about. Okay. <laughs> we knew you were going to ask. Yes, yes, because I was waiting for it. So we're talking about the historic uh, city council table uh, that sat in the middle of this uh, committee of the whole for so many years. It had uh, all the luminaries you can think about. Um, in the city of Detroit over the years for this legislative body. Uh, in 2019, I think it was, Madam President, there was renovation in this room and the items were removed. Um, council member who shepherded the project is no longer on this body. And you know, since then I've been asking, where's, where's the table? I mean, I know we have some of the chairs. I have a chair in my office because I refuse to allow it to just be tossed out and, and lost. But I mean, we got doors, all this, this, all this history in this room. Right. Gone. Do you, do you know? So maybe the key rests in the council member that is no longer with city council. So maybe that person knows where they are. So our team is ready and willing, and we do want to accession it into the collection. Maybe part of the thing is that the chairs are spread out. They're not all in one place. We know where one well, the is. The chairs are one thing, but the big table <laughs> right. in the middle is the big piece because that was. That defined this room. That defined city council. When you saw that table, it was different. I mean, this here is, it feel like council. It feel like, you know, suburbs. You know, that table that was, I said it, the table in the middle right. of the committee of the whole really set us apart in terms of being a legislative body. You don't see that anymore. And, you know, we've kind of modernized, but uh, to go, and, and hopefully that table is not forever lost but it's been a number of years now unfortunately yeah, we just pandemic. need help finding it maybe someone who's watching has some idea or if you can help me identify i'll pop you an email okay and you can if you can help me identify if you know who that was yeah. who was active then that might help us um but last year when it came up we had our team try to track it down and made some calls to city offices and we came up empty wow. so we'll keep trying i'm president i saw mr Todd. yes Hanley. he's excited to to join the conversation <laughs> <laughs> Director Todd? Maybe he knows. Maybe. <laughs> you know? <laughs>
Good afternoon, City Council. Uh, Your microphone, Director Todd, yeah. if you don't mind. Is it okay? Good afternoon, City Council. Thank you, Madam President. Uh, through you to President Pro Tem, I do not know concisely, but I do know from the initial demolition uh, that it was unique construction, obviously, to this room. It was actually a built-in, so mm -hmm. it was not, you know, a table in the sense that we might think of or even we would find in other places. I will investigate a little bit farther as we're beginning to deal with the building authority for our own renovations, and I believe the same company that's doing ours was the same company that worked here. Mm -hmm. I will see if I can find out, but unfortunately, I believe that in order to be removed, it had to be dismantled. Dismantled so. is one thing, but not destroyed. That's well, and 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 so I, I won't go any right. farther than that. Right. But, uh, my, right. My, my fears are not very positive, <laughs> but I will see what else I can find out. But I do remember seeing some pieces as some things were being removed back in that time. So. Wow. Okay. Well, um, we're going to work. We'll work with you, uh, Mr. Todd, if we can put that down. I'm sending it to my team. But <laughs> this is it's sad if, if that actually did occur. Right. Um, that is a real <laughs> homage to the legacy of, of this body. We're here today, but there have been so many uh, people that have paid, you know, I mean, we, the reason why we're here is because some of those individuals, and they've sure. done tremendous work. So I will be continue to work with you on that issue. Thank you, Madam President. Thank you, President. Councilmember Young. Yeah, yeah, that was sad. I kind of want to, like, cue the Sarah McLaughlin song right now. Um... <laughs> <clears throat> I just wanted to, first of all, I just wanted to ask, always good to see you guys. I wanted to ask you, you talked about autism and what you were trying to do. I just wanted to ask you, did you set up a light calming room at all for those, needed for those visitors that could be funded by the National Autistic Association? Well, so that, you had that I'm sure that will be part of the plan. So we're just, we just started this. Literally, our staff is in training right now. Okay. The, we'll be complete by the end of the month. And we had our audit today of our spaces. So part of what they're going to do within a month, we'll get recommendations back. But that absolutely is one of the things we talked about with them today at both of our locations um, and the importance of having a calming room for anyone who would like to use it. Good. Now, that's, that, you're planning on that through... 100% grant funding, or do you plan on doing that as part of this budget, or do you plan on doing that with your mill? I'm, I'm speaking as if you're going to get it, so I'm speaking prophetically. Sure. Like once you get your millage, do you plan sure. on investing yes. in that and, Right, and and I also up. think that that finding outside sponsors for something like that um, will not be a heavy lift. Um, so this it's it's such an important topic right now, and so many people are affected. I mean, I don't think I know a family that isn't affected somehow right. by autism. So um, that's where we're going to begin is to work to get this funded. I mean, I remember when I was in the Senate, I appropriated seven hundred and fifty thousand dollars, you know, for autism and people across the oh, spectrum. Great. So mm -hmm. I, this is personal. Um, I just want to ask you my final question. Is this, and, and this can be part, I don't know if this is part of this budget or when you get your um, millage as well, but is there any sort of plans in order to train the next generation or mold or cultivate the next generation of historians? There, well, there is, yes. And um, so... Or partnerships you want to talk about with, you know, you know um, higher education or, yes. you know, with the Well, so we have like significant that. partnerships and great deep internship programs with Wayne State, with Michigan State University and Eastern Michigan in particular, and um, almost always have students who are working. Um, their the biggest interest is at the Collections Resource Center. Um, but there is, um, you know, museums around the world are struggling to find um, 
you know, to find young people to go into the field and especially young people of color. And that's really a focus that we would like to have. And, um, you know, we've actually been talking with our friends at the right about, I mean, a collective effort is really what's needed here. Um, you know, the DIA, um, the right, us, um, you know, uh, the other museums, Motown, you know, um, Arab American Museum, we are all looking for young talent. And so to do it independently doesn't make sense, but um, I would love for the Detroit Historical Society to take the lead. We're willing to do that in pulling those groups together in order to come up with a, a plan for that. And I, you know, I think the earlier the better. My husband's a high school principal, and um, you know, they have these vocational tech programs, and they even cover things. You know, it's healthcare, marketing, mechanics, things like that. Why not museum studies? So that's another option that we could take. I mean, the earlier the better. Yeah, I just think it's very important. And also, I forgot to tell you, uh, the Angel uh, Autism Network also has a program okay. as well that you could do that with. So okay. I, I think that's really good. And I, and I just think that it's so very important what you're doing and what you're talking about. Um, has there ever been a discussion at all? Or have you thought about doing anything at all in terms of and how much would this cost from a historical perspective talking? You're just kind of emphasizing on what this city represents in terms of workers like Rosie the Riveter mm -hmm. and the history of what we've done in this city. Because I look going to the Detroit Historical Museum and you have a lot of artifacts that deal with labor and deal with working people. And so has there been any discussion in terms of kind of not just talking about what working people have done here, but also the contributions in terms of um, the arsenal of democracy and how that kind of plays out. Well, we do have an exhibit called the Arsenal of Democracy, right? Um, and we are—we um, actually just recently, for the first time in a long time, changed out an artifact and now have uh, a woman's uniform in there in honor of uh, Women's History Month. Right. And um, so that's—that's um, that's an exhibit that always gains a lot of interest. Um, we also have um, traveling exhibit of World War II propaganda posters that's really popular, um, and we travel that around the country. Um, you know, what, one thing we that I always um, hear from our exhibitions team is, you know, when I ask them, well, what do you need? And they say, we need more space. <laughs> um, so in order to be able to tell these stories, you know, you know from going through the museum, it's made up of a lot of small rooms. Um, we did identify when we went through the Detroit Square project, the new cultural district, that um, our museum is built like a factory and none of those walls are load-bearing. So a long-term dream I have, and maybe for the person who takes my place, would be to completely reconfigure the museum so that we'd have a lot more room to tell all of the stories that need to be told. You know, and right now, unfortunately, we're kind of space constrained, so we change up as much as we can. Thank you. Thank you, Madam President. All right. Thank you, uh, Member Young. Member Johnson? Thank you, Madam President. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Um, I want to commend you all on the soul of philanthropy. I know at least three people mm -hmm. that are going to be recognized right. uh, for the work that they do in the community. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think it's absolutely phenomenal because a lot of times individuals working within our communities, we don't know their story. We really don't know what they've been through and, and how much they give back to community because usually they're working so hard mm -hmm. um, to pull everything together that they don't often have the time to adequately tell their story. So I'm really looking forward to that. Uh, talk to me about how you're marketing that exhibit. Um, well, so I want to clarify, if you're talking about the hustle 
or the soul of philanthropy? I believe it's the soul of philanthropy. Okay. I actually text one person who is a part of it. To okay, ask them and they're being featured. Yeah. Okay. All right. Great. So I just wanted to clarify because we're doing a couple. couple there's overlap, you know, with some of these things. So, um, you know, that's a, a national project, and so the great news about that is there's a local committee and a national committee for that, and there is full marketing support beyond that. So we'll be marketing not only here locally but also nationwide. Um, which I think will give us a great opportunity to, you know, tell even more people about what we're doing. So is there an unveiling you have? Yeah, there'll be an opening event. Um, Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So I'm not exactly, I don't think we've settled on the final dates yet. That's, so this is really committee driven, which is wonderful for us. So, you know, the community is helping drive Mm -hmm. um, exactly how and when these things are happening. The hustle is is happening that way as well. So we'll be sure to let everyone know those specific dates. We'd love to have you come. Please do. Please do. I I think it would be great for all of us to make sure we go and support the individuals that are featured, especially those individuals that are from the city of Detroit and um, the folks that I know are all black men that are uh, being featured. So that's really exciting. Uh, The other thing is, I believe last year I talked about bringing the museum into our neighborhoods and um, really ecstatic to have Freedom Confirmed mm-hmm. in District 4. Uh, I've been there a few times uh, and really want to make sure that we put a spotlight on uh, the actual exhibit. It's in the perfect area in District 4. It's on Whittier. Uh, that community is focused on creating an art and tech hub. Uh, so that museum is a um, phenomenal idea and a great curator, uh, a District 4 resident as well. Uh, So just want to ask you if you're planning to do any more of that. I know Member Calloway asked for you to come into her district, but do you have any plans to do more in our neighborhoods? Well, we do. I mean, we would love to do something in in all of the districts. It's just a matter of finding the right partner. So um, although as we staff up, um, you know, we have been so lean um, working with, you know, um, during COVID probably half the staff that we should have had. So now that we're adding back and, and really growing a team the size that it needs to be, we'll have more capacity for that. But it's about finding the right partner. So, you know, from my perspective, working with you to identify people who have the capacity, you know, what what we have to be careful of is we don't want to just come in and tell you what to do, right? We need someone from the district, from the community there who has a story to tell, um, and then we can help them curate that. Mm-hmm. So so we're looking for partnerships. We're very open to it, and we would love to do it. Um, we have budget for it. It's just a matter of identifying who the next one's going to be when Rodney, <clears throat> uh, you know, moves moves along and that exhibit closes. Council Member Johnson, I wanted to mention that when that exhibit is done, uh, we will incorporate it into our traveling exhibit schedule. So it will be available to schools or other communities within the city. Uh, Rodney's very uh, uh, graciously donated his intellectual property, basically. And mm-hmm. and so our curatorial and collections team will, will uh, disassemble that and then get it into a, a format that it can be used as a traveling exhibit. And I'm excited about that. That's... That's something that's good for mm-hmm. our schools and our community centers and uh, just other parts of the city besides um, the great neighborhood on Whittier. Excellent. Thank you. Um, I just want to make a, a quick comment because we have a lot of the museums coming before us and, and having some financial difficulties, right? Um, so I used to work for the Convention and Visitors Bureau, Visit Detroit, mm-hmm. and that was a long time ago, but um, they, they had five attributes, one of which was culture. And so I know that they send a lot of tourists 
mm -hmm. uh, to the museums and talk so highly of the museums uh, that are in Detroit and Metro Detroit area. So I wonder if there's a, an opportunity for partnership, for support, for them to help you generate revenue. Right. Well, so to that point, interestingly, um, one afternoon next week, I'm not sure which one, the whole team from Visit Detroit is coming to have a, a retreat at the museum and um, where they have a new leader. And so we're, we're talking with him and them about exactly that. Excellent. I couldn't agree with you more. All right. Thank you. Thank mm -hmm. you so much for being here. Thank you, Madam President. Yeah. Thank you, Member Johnson. Member Durha. Thank you, Madam President. Member Johnson uh, has excellent questions. <laughs> it took a couple of mine, particularly the last comment, but kind of going just a little bit deeper on that. Uh, when we talk about uh, Detroit becoming the second tourist attraction um, in, in America, right, uh, how we're growing fast here. Uh, we've got a great museum, uh, one of my daughter's favorite. Uh, particularly all the lights and the, I don't want to call it Legos, but the little display there with all the folks and how everything works there. Uh, what what are we doing to promote this? Uh, again, not just uh, in our city, uh, in our neighborhoods to Detroit residents, but outside. You know, are we thinking further than that? Are we mm -hmm. uh, having a partnership with the state? You know, uh, whether whether it's Pure Michigan or, or whatever we're doing. What are additional steps are we taking to ensure? that folks know we have our world-class uh, historical museum here uh, in the city of Detroit? Well, I mean, I think that's the million-dollar question, <laughs> Councilmember Duhall. Um, so we, um, I think part of the solution to that is the cultural district and the gelling of these 12 institutions. We've been meeting together for four years now, um, you know, around the idea of creating a, a really um, designated um you know, destination for people. Um, it's. I think it's been tragic that after all these years, you know, up until a few years ago, these institutions were competing with each other, um, and almost required new leadership at some of the institutions. And now, you know, most of us are relatively new who are leading um, the the museums in town, and we um, we get together all the time and talk about this. So um, what what we're going to be doing is collectively marketing. Um, you know, and once the district is really created. We actually just um, selected, um, and this is driven um, by Midtown Detroit Inc., um, but just selected an advertising firm to help kind of create a name for the district and a brand around that, which then we all will buy into and through our own means, you know, collectively and individually be marketing what we are all doing. And, you know, what we started to see happening in, in the four and a half years since I've been here is, um, you know, we tell people, you got to go over to the DIA and see this. You know, and people at the right are saying, hey, have you visited the Detroit Historical Museum? And so I think that's part of it, you know, when, um, whether people are from in town or out of town. Um, where we have struggled is in advertising dollars. We don't typically have a budget like that. I know the year I started in 2018, um, I inherited a budget, and the marketing budget had been cut by 65%. And we never really came back from that. So, you know, um, part of the state funding is allowing us to rebuild our marketing team. We've had only one person for the last four years. Um, and um, and then, you know, as, as part and parcel with the millage, of course, we have hired a marketing consultant. So that's helping us in the right in particular. Um, so we have a long way to go. I mean, we, we absolutely agree that um, we have world-class institutions here. Um, but we're stronger when we're marketing together as opposed to against each other. 
And I would I would agree again. I know that is probably just difficult. You know, one marketing person for Expensive. an entire historical yeah. mm -hmm. campus, uh, whether that's the DIA or the historical museum or the right or, or whatever the case may be. Um, and it's already been put into executive session, but I, but I think I'm going to try to take a deeper dive. I think I do think we need to help uh, you guys get more funding uh, relative to market uh, marketing uh, because it does it helps us generate revenue as a city, brings more folks here. Uh, they spend more time here, but also helps with the preservation uh, of those institutions. Uh, my second question uh, is around uh, preservation, mm -hmm. uh, per se. Um, having the opportunity to sit and be the vice chair on the planning and economic development standing committee, uh, when we talk about new developments that come here, we often hear from residents that talk about preserving uh, our historical uh, buildings or structures, or at least remnants of them or pieces from them. Sure. Uh, have we ever thought about getting kind of connected when some of those developments happen? I know, again, that takes funding, uh, but maybe working with some of those developers that may uh, be redeveloping some of these historical entities or they're coming down uh, to have those discussions mm -hmm. with them of how the museum, uh, and particularly talking about the Detroit Historical Museum, how they, you know, you can get access to, uh, what, you know, some of those pieces of the building or some of those things inside the building. Uh, have there been discussions or, or just a thought to kind of connect with developers and kind of partner to ensure that we're preserving that history? Uh, and really quick, because often Detroiters say, you know, the thing about us is that, you know, when we build something new, they're great, they're excited. But at times we tear things down, you know, whether that's Tiger Stadium or I can go on and on, right? Um, so that, that well, so right now how that's happening and, and I agree, I mean, it's happening every day, right? Um, right now it's happening. So we, um, our role is not in the preservation of buildings, but preservation Detroit's is. And so, you know, partnership with them, um, they will from time to time identify a historic building and realize that there are assets there that we should be accessioning into our collection, you know, and so that happens that way. Now, we haven't proactively done that, but I, um, you know, I could see in the future that being um, a smart thing to do. Um, another thing we're trying to do, which isn't about architecture, but um, we do have a neighborhood's oral history project, so we realize as neighborhoods are changing, we are gathering the oral histories of people who grew up there and lived there um, before they are gone. And um, that's an ongoing project that we have, um, and people love to talk about where they grew up, um, and it's been really wonderful. So all of those will live in perpetuity on our website. Um, so that's another way that we're doing it. Um, but I, I certainly understand what you're saying, and um, there are, you know, not everything that people think is historic is something that we can accession into our collection. Um, but if there's historical significance, if um, you know, if there's a, a story around it that's important, that provenance then we definitely want to know about it. Maybe it's just spreading the word, too, and getting to know. I mean, we know some of these developers. They're sponsors of ours. So it's a great point, though. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Madam President. Thank you, Member Durha. And uh, most of my questions were asked. Uh, I did just have one that came to mind as you were talking. Are, are you within the DDA boundaries, Downtown Development Authority? Yes. So I, w I was just thinking with all of the development that is mm -hmm. happening in the area, especially with uh, U of M and the Olympia development, are you a part of these development conversations as far as the impact and possible community benefits and contributions right. to the We museum? haven't been thus far. No. So I think that you really all should be at the table, mm -hmm. um, especially when there's a lot of money as far as community benefits and the impact that this will have. I know one of the 
uh, key provisions of the CIA uh, Community Benefits Agreement was about culture mm -hmm. and preserving the culture of our city. And so I think an investment in the historical museum will go a long way. So I, I'm not sure if I just would encourage you, and I'm not sure how we can support you, but to get more involved in some of the development um, conversations that are taking, because it's a lot of investment coming oh, within no, that, that particular area. No, I hadn't thought about it that way. No, thank you. Okay, thank you. And then also the DDA, do they have access to any funding through, because we keep talking about how money is captured in the DDA and it can't be used anywhere else, but within the DDA district. So would they be able to utilize any DDA funding for capital improvements at all? I'm just curious. Madam President, um, that would necessitate a conversation with the DDA board. Uh, they would have to amend their DDA plan in order to incorporate something like that. Mm -hmm. They were amenable to doing maybe some capital improvements for the uh, Skillman Library that's mm -hmm. within the DDA. So that would be a good conversation probably to have with the DDA board. Okay. So we already put this in executive session, so we will... Um, Mr. Corley, do you want us to specify each of the topics? Because I know it can get confusing. Yeah, that'd be wonderful, and I, I did want to go back to Pro Tim uh, Tate on his. So, so it would be wonderful if you all can, you know, email me or okay. you know whatever. Okay. Um, what you want in executive session, so email me. Got you. So I will send um, you. questions in writing. All right, thank you, uh, Member Calloway. Did you have a question? No, Madam Chair. Thank okay. you. Thank you. All right, so that will conclude our um, hearing for today. We appreciate you guys. Thank you. You guys have always opened your door for us. We've actually hosted a couple of events mm -hmm. there. Looking forward to coming back very soon. Great. So, Love to see you. Thank, thank you. you all so much. All right. We're going to go straight to our public comment. And how many callers do we have? Yes, Member Gale. Good afternoon, Madam President. We have six callers with their hands raised online. Oh, okay. I just want to say something. One second, please. Go ahead, Member Young. Thank you, Madam President. I just also wanted to say that you have mu uh, French music concerts at the Dawson, which were absolutely wonderful. I went there and enjoyed myself. Just want to say thank you, guys. Appreciate all that you do. Thanks. I heard you went. Thank you. Yes, I did. <laughs> enjoyed myself. Thank right. you. All right. Thank you. All right. Go ahead for our public comment, please. Uh, Madam President, there were six hands raised online. All right, everyone will have two minutes for public comment. Oh, you know what? I apologize. We are going to move straight into our Eastern Market Corporation hearing and then do public comment at the end. So we can switch over now. Yes. Thank you.